Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, by God's grace, uh, we regularly witness infants uh, being baptized in this church. Parents come forward, uh, they state their vows, then they present their children for baptism. And then perhaps I or another minister uh, will sprinkle water on the child baptizing them in the name of the triune God. Not only could we baptize infants by um, sprinkling with water, but we could also pour water on them or even baptize them by immersion. In fact, there are some churches that do that, baptize infants by immersion. Now, I'm not going to get into the different modes of baptism this after, uh, in this sermon, but the important thing is that we do baptize infants in this church. And it's so important for us to know from where do these waters, uh, these particular waters flow. That is to say, why do we do this? Where does this practice come from? And most importantly, what's the biblical basis for it? See, there are many in North America who believe that the practice of infant baptism, as we have it in Reformed churches, simply flows out of the Roman Catholic Church, and that Reformed churches held on to this practice when they should have distanced themselves from it. However, this afternoon, we're going to see how the waters of infant baptism flow from a different source. Far from flowing out of the Roman Catholic Church, we'll see how infant baptism actually flows from the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, that might sound strange at first, but we're going to explore that in detail in our first point, why that is. But we'll see not only why this supports the doctrine of infant baptism, but we'll see what this means for the infant being baptized. What's the significance of it? What does this mean for the child's life as he or she grows up? And not only just for infants, but all, for all of us who have been baptized whether as an infant or as an adult later in life. And even for those who may be listening uh, for the first time but have never been baptized before, there's a message in it for all of us. So that brings us to the sermon theme, infant baptism flows from the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We'll look at two main things. First of all, we'll look at justification by faith and God's promises, Second of all, we'll look at living by faith in light of God's promises. So one of the the pillars of the Great Reformation was the teaching of the recovery of justification. Now, what is that besides a big word? What What does it mean to be justified before God? Well, to be justified before God means to be declared righteous by God. In our justification, our God, by His complete grace, does not count our sins against us, but instead He counts towards us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, our sins not counted towards us, but the perfect uh, holiness and righteousness of Christ uh, counted towards, towards us. 
And this act of justification is based completely on the finished work of Christ. It excludes any of our works whatsoever. Now, our justification before God and, and knowing it, uh, believing it, is so important because so many benefits of salvation come from it. For instance, by our justification, we finally have free access to God and His throne. Without it, we could never approach God's throne on our own. Furthermore, we're brought into a right relationship with God, where there once was enmity, where we once were enemies of God, that relationship has been restored and healed. Furthermore, by our justification, we are heirs of eternal life. Perhaps the greatest benefit of all, through our justification, we are adopted as God's children. Those are all wonderful things. Now, having explained justification, we have to explore how this connects uh, with infant baptism. And at first, the truth of justification seems to be miles apart from infant baptism. And perhaps we might think even opposed to it. That's because justification is by faith. And it's by faith alone. We receive the benefits of Christ by believing the gospel, the good news of Christ. We are justified by trusting and leaning on the work of Christ alone. It's by faith. We see this throughout Scripture. Take, for example, the book of Romans, which we read from. Listen to Romans 1. The gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And the righteous shall live by faith. Listen to Romans 3. God put forward Christ as a propitiation by his blood, a sacrifice that pays for sins, to be received by faith. And again, it says, we maintain that a person is justified by faith. And we could go on throughout Scripture uh, with many more verses. And we confess this very th- same thing in the Catechism. Just look at Lord's Day 7, about only those being saved who by true faith are grafted into Christ. Or Lord's Day 23, we could list others. And we might wonder, what does this mean for the children of believers? Infants do not have faith. You know, some in church history have argued that infants have a type of faith, but I'm certainly not going to I go in that direction, I believe it's a dead end. Infants don't understand the gospel. In fact, they don't understand anything you tell them. How are they going to have faith? And so what about baptism then? Why would we baptize our children? I mean, the reason for baptizing believing adults is obvious. Adults who come to faith in Christ are baptized because baptism is a sign that they have received the saving benefits of Christ by faith. It's a sign of their new status, a justified status, that their sins have been washed away, that they are righteous before God by faith. And just look at what we read from Lord's Day 27. Why does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? 
And there we confess. He wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. And that's why we see the pattern of baptism that we do in the book of Acts as well. You know, so often what we see is people believed and then they were baptized. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Philip came to him and explained the good news of Christ to him. But that message, by that message, a man came to faith in Christ. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's the water. What prevents me from being baptized? And the answer was nothing. In fact, Philip baptized a man right then and there. He'd just come to, to faith, to believe in Jesus Christ. And yes, there are household baptisms in the book of Acts. I would say likely there were children in those households. But can we say it with, with absolute certainty? Oh, but, by, but having said all that, what we want to see is that justification by faith alone and the practice of baptizing our children are actually closely linked. And to see this, I want to start by describing one man's conversion experience. Yes, stay with me. There once was a man who did not know the Lord and knew nothing of the gospel. However, at one point, God, by his sheer grace, called this man to faith. And this man, by God's grace, believed God's gospel promises. As a result, this man was justified by believing, by faith, and his sins were forgiven through faith. Now, who am I talking about? Sounds like it could be anyone. Could describe someone you know. Could describe someone who attended a revival rally. Who knows, maybe it describes you. But I'm actually speaking about a specific man that you've heard before. I'm speaking about Abraham. That's what we read from Romans 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what is the Holy Spirit through Paul, why, sorry, or what is the Holy Spirit through Paul taking great pains to teach us in Romans 4? What's he teaching us? He's teaching us that there is one way of salvation throughout all of history, both before Christ and after Christ, one way of being made right with God. After all, when was Abraham justified? when he believed God's gospel promises. You see, in Genesis 15, Abraham believed, and it says it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified. And Abraham's justification happened before he was circumcised. In fact, he was circumcised years later in Genesis 17. And what Paul is saying is, this means Abraham's circumcision didn't play any role whatsoever in his justification. It wasn't by his works in any way. It was by his faith, just as you are. In that light, we can ask a similar but equally important question, which is this. What was Abraham 
when he was justified by faith? And the answer Romans 4 essentially gives is this. He was a Gentile. He was simply a Gentile who believed the gospel. And that might have been a shock for the Jews reading that, but it's essentially true. He was a Gentile who believed the gospel. And that's when he was justified. You see, there's one way of salvation throughout history. That's the way of faith in God's promise. It was this way before God gave circumcision. Think of Abraham. It was this way after God gave circumcision. In fact, Romans 4 verse 11 says, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And so Jews, after the giving of circumcision, were justified the same way as Abraham, by faith in the promise, just as you are. It was the same thing after God gave the law through Moses. When God gave the law through Moses, the way of salvation didn't change. That's why Paul brings up the example of David in Romans 4, verse 6. David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalm 32 about the blessing of the person whose sins are forgiven. Now, the really important thing for us to see this afternoon is this. God's promise came to Abraham's children through this same righteousness that is by faith. Let me say that again. God's promise came to Abraham's children through this same righteousness that is by faith. Because Abraham was justified by faith alone. Listen to verses 13, verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, not just of the land of Canaan, but of the entire world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, why did God's covenant promise come to Abraham's children? Because Abraham while he was still considered a Gentile, believed the gospel. That's why God's promises came to Abraham's children, because Abraham believed the gospel. Now, at the beginning of point one, I listed some of the benefits of justification. This included gaining access to God, gaining a right relationship with God, becoming a child of God. But here in Romans 4, we see one more. The promises of God come to the children of believers who have been justified by faith. You see, it's similar reasoning to that of what Paul uses when it comes to justification and, and circumcision. Circumcision didn't make Abraham justified. It had nothing to do with it. Abraham's justification came first, and then years later he was circumcised. It's the same thing with God giving the promise to Abraham's children. These promises came to Abraham's children through Abraham's justification apart from his circumcision. See, circumcision wasn't the basis of God giving the promise to Abraham's children. No, it came through Abraham's faith. That's why the order in Genesis 17 is so important as well. God first declared the promise to be God to Abraham and to his children after him. 
And only after that promise was given did God give circumcision. The promise didn't depend on circumcision, but on Abraham's faith. And this is the basis for baptizing our children. We don't baptize the children of believers primarily because Abraham's children were circumcised. Rather, we baptize the children of believers because the promise came to Abraham's children through Abraham's justification by faith alone. Abraham is the father of us all, whether Jew or Gentile. Our experience is the same as his. And now that the gospel is going out to the Gentiles, people are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, as has always happened. The way of salvation has not changed. The way of justification is the same now as when Abraham was justified. And the promise came to Abraham's children through his justification by faith. Why would it be different today? This is especially true since in Ephesians 2, the Spirit through Paul says this to the Gentiles. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he says, the Gentiles, you Gentiles who have come to faith, you were once strangers to the covenants of promise, which includes God's covenant with Abraham. But now by the blood of Christ, through faith in that blood of Christ for their justification, they've been included too. There's a unity between the new covenant and the old covenant, or the the covenants, we could say. They're united by the promise of God in Jesus Christ, which is received by faith. You once were strangers to the covenants of promise, but now you're included. The truth is, as both Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith in the New Testament time period, the promise of God also comes to our children. It's on that basis we baptize infants. You know what? I think it's important to note here that the term infant baptism is not actually the greatest term. It's best to call it believers and their children baptism. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, probably won't catch on, but I think it's more accurate. More accurately describes why we do what we do. And here is where we must understand that baptism has replaced circumcision. Can't go into all the details of this today. But I will give you two reasons why circumcision needed replacing. First, there is the shedding of blood, which we see in circumcision. Christ's sacrifice as a final and complete sacrifice has done away with every other shedding of blood. Then there is the matter of the seed. The sign of circumcision always pointed to also one particular coming seed or offspring who had come from Abraham's line. This offspring would be the Savior of the world, the Christ. And once he came, the people of God no longer need to look ahead to another child to come who would save them. That promised child already came, and so circumcision needed to end to emphasize that. 
But both the meaning of circumcision and baptism is essentially the same. Yes, baptism is a sign of justification by faith alone. Yes, infants do not have faith. But circumcision was also a sign of justification by faith alone. That's what Romans 4 verse 11 says. And this sign was given to the children. It's the same thing with baptism. That brings us to our second point. So having established the basis of baptizing the children of believers, now we must look at why this all matters. What does it mean for the child that he or she has been baptized? And how does that impact the life of the child as he or she grows up? And the first thing to understand and to treasure is that for the children who have been baptized, you must understand this. God has promised you that he will be your God always. As God told Abraham in Genesis 17, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God has promised to be your God. It's a promise you can count on. It's a promise at the heart of God's covenant with us. It's a promise about fellowship and salvation. You see, every other promise of salvation flows from this one great promise of God, I will be your God, you will be my people. If God promises to be your God, then you can trust, or then your sins will need to be taken care of, but you can trust God's promise that he will do this in Jesus' blood. And if God promises to be your God, it's a promise that he will defend you against all enemies. If God promises to be your God, it's a promise of eternal fellowship with him. Such a great and precious promise this is. You can trust this promise and indeed respond in faith. Rejoice that God has promised to be your God. He's included you in his covenant. Your baptism also gives you a call to respond to God in faith. As all the children here, as you grow up, you need to learn to live by faith in God's promises. These are God's promises to you. Embrace them with all of your heart. To quote Romans 4, walk in the footsteps of faith that your forefather Abraham did. See, these promises of God are precious, but they require a response as you grow older. So take care that you never harden your heart towards God and His precious promises. See, as you grow up, things are not automatic in God's covenant. God calls you to respond in faith and and repentance. Think of who was circumcised in the Old Testament. Think of Abraham's children. Both Ishmael and Isaac were circumcised, both part of the covenant. Only one responded in faith. Both Jacob and Esau were circumcised. Only one responded in faith. Neither Ishmael nor Esau responded in faith. And because of this, their circumcision only testified against them. 
And a similar thing can be said of many Old Testament Israelites. Many of them took God's covenant for granted. Oh, we're Israelites, they might have said, we're set apart to be God's people by circumcision. And since we are the people of God, everything will be just fine with us, no matter what we do, what we believe, or how we live. How wrong that thinking was. And may that thinking never be in our hearts either. We see something of this in Romans 2 and 3. There the Apostle Paul points out that circumcision won't benefit a a person if that person embraces a life of unbelief and sin. Rather, it will only testify to condemn that person. The important thing is that one responds in faith through a changed heart. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 28, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. Such a person's praise is not from man, but from God. It's the same thing with baptism. It's great that we have regularly baptizing infants in this church. That doesn't mean covenant children have the go-ahead to embrace a life of sin. Far from it. We could easily rephrase Romans 2 verse 28 for our context. No one is a Christian who's merely one in name only, outwardly. Nor is Christianity outward and physical, but a Christian is one inwardly, and it's a matter of the heart, by the Spirit. And all that does not mean that Paul is saying that physical circumcision to children in the Old Testament didn't make a difference, not at all. The message and meaning were beautiful. He says at the beginning of chapter 3, what advantage has a Jew? What value is there in physical circumcision? The answer, much in every way. It's the same thing with baptism to the children of believers. Yes, it's true. Baptism does not give you a free ride to live in unbelief and sin. Yes, you must be changed and embrace God's promises and faith. But that act of baptism, which you received as a child, benefits you in so many ways. You've been set apart from the world by God been grafted visibly into the Christian church. And you can count on God's promises. Believe them. They are real. You can build your life on them. You will never go wrong if you do. What does that look like in day-to-day life? It means, first of all, relying on the grace of God. Remember what the children of believers are when they are presented for baptism. They're conceived and born in sin. And they and we all need the forgiving grace of God. So we recognize who God is, holy and righteous and just. We recognize who we are in ourselves, sinful and condemned. We need forgiveness of our sins, justification before God. But then we also look to our baptism and to whom it points, Jesus Christ. And that God has granted this forgiveness in Christ through his blood. And so we simply respond to God in confession and faith, knowing that he will forgive us. Confess your sins to him, ask him for forgiveness through Christ's blood, he will do it. 
And that's also what the water of baptism points to. Points to the washing away of your sins through Jesus' blood. Brace it in faith and rejoice. Counting on God's faithfulness and building your life in God's promises also helps you through the suffering of life. And everyone will experience suffering in this life. But even in the midst of that suffering, these promises of God are real. And they will keep you, keep you going through the hard times in life. Despite the struggles you might face growing up, despite the suffering, God will always be there. God will always be your God. He will turn it for your good. You know, Abraham, father of all believers, he had his fair share of struggles in life too. And he waited for God to fulfill his promise for so many years. Throughout his whole life, he lived in tents in the promised land, never fully gaining a permanent home there. He had setbacks and doubts and at times even stumbled in foolishness. But even so, he continued to live by faith. And God did turn it all for his good. Remember that always as you go through trials and suffering. This faithful God, this covenant God, whom you look to in faith, will turn it for your good too. Trust in Him. He will keep His promise. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together Psalm 105, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3.